This is a Discovery Church podcast. Every heart found in Jesus' story. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, we pray that this message brings you deep encouragement. If you would like to get involved in the life of our church, head over to discoverychurch.com.au or check out our social media or YouTube channel. The title of the message today, my friends, is A Single Piece of Paper. A single piece of paper. You know, you write those notes. You write a Christmas card or a birthday card or you write a little note to somebody and you only got a certain amount of space to do it. Who are those kinds of people who then write on an angle so that they can get more in, or flip it over and write the little PTO on the bottom so that you can get more information on there. Second John, which is the book that we're looking at today, is the shortest book in the New Testament, and it's followed closely by Third John, which we're going to look at next week. So we're going to do a little inception, you know, series within a series. But the reason that they're so short is because they were written on one single piece of paper, on one bit of papyrus. So this is essentially a note that the Apostle John is sending to a church and he's not taking a lot of time and he's not using a lot of resources to do it. And so if you had one single piece of paper to leave a note, to send to somebody, the last thing that you were going to tell them, what would be on that piece of paper? What would you say? Oh, I want to say so much. There's so many things I want to communicate. Yeah, but you've only got one piece of paper. What would you say? How would you say it? That's what we get to look at today when we look at 2 John. He's got limited time, limited space, and he's writing to a church in a very peculiar position. And so we're going to uncover that today. What's happening in this story? We're about to read the passage in a minute, but we want to set the scene about people, place, and time. This is written around 85 or 90, 85 to 95 AD, so the late part of the first century. There are house churches scattered throughout all of the Roman Empire. People meeting in churches in houses all across those places, and the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. There is persecution against the Christians there. And so people are meeting in this kind of way, almost in a covert secret kind of fashion. The Jews had developed a policy where the, the way that they were going to survive under the Roman Empire was do business with one another. So Jews would do business with Jews. They would, you know, um, they would provide each other with services, whether it be food or anything, uh, any other kind of services. And the Christians had likely adopted the same kind of tactic. We're going to serve and work with one another in amongst the oppression of the Roman Empire. These house churches were led by local leaders, usually the people who were owned who owned that house that the church met in. And what would happen is traveling preachers or speakers would go through the churches and meet over those times. So they would be they would be um, billeted essentially in someone's house and that person would feed them, would give them everything and then set them up for their journey as they were to go on to the next Place. Is this making sense so far? Trying to build a little bit of a picture, and this is all going to make sense when we read the passage. Now, what was happening also was you had some ex-Christians, 
some people who were um, who had an ideology that was that was that was forming at the time called Gnosticism, which is where we get our word knowledge from, to know, which was this weird kind of blend of Jewish, Christian, and Greek thought that was all coming together, that was all around escapism. There's a way you can escape this life and get into the next life. And they were posing as traveling preachers and going round to different places too. And so John is writing to a sister church to warn them that there are some wolves in sheep's clothing traveling around doing the ministry circuit in their area. And that's what this note is about. So with all of that in mind, we're going to read it together, this short one-page letter to a neighboring church to encourage them to stay true to the original gospel. So we're gonna read the entire thing, which is not that long. Then we're gonna come back to the start. We're gonna break it down, make some observations, comments as we go. Is that making sense? And is that okay with everyone so far? All right. Let's do it then. Second, John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, Though not, uh, not though as, as I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you've heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess that the coming of Jesus Christ is in the flesh. Such one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen and amen. That's the entire book. Well done, guys. You can tick that off your list. One of the books done. Very, very accomplished. Okay. What is going on here? We're going to break this down from the beginning. The elder to the elect lady and her children. Now, it doesn't actually say that the Apostle John wrote this, this book. But we can compare. Scholars have looked at this, both 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And they've compared it with the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel in our New Testament. And the language and feel and style is very similar, which has led most, if not all, major scholars to agree that this was, in fact, written by the Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved, one of the disciples himself, the brother of James, one of the sons of thunder, who was with Jesus in the beginning. 
This is the one who writes this. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So he was very good at what he was doing. This is written later in his life, most likely from Ephesus. He writes to the chosen lady and her children. It's a very, very strange term. The Greek is Kyria Electa, the chosen lady. Now, scholars are divided. Was he talking to a specific woman? Was he talking to a maybe perhaps a Babylonian lady with that as a proper name, Kyria Electa? Or was it a was it a, a pseudonym for a church? Like we're, we're the, the church is called the Bride of Christ. The Old Testament, the people of Israel were often called the beloved, the chosen, the one whom God loved. So is he using in this time of persecution a, a pseudonym that says to the elect sister and her children, i.e. the church and all of the people who made up that, pe- that group of faith, that people of faith. As he signs off at the end, the children of your sister, as in my church, sends you greeting. Hey, we're saying hi to each other, two churches kind of waving at each other across the way. Is that what's happening here? It's an expression that baffles the commentators, but either way, it doesn't really matter. What matters here is that right at the beginning, he uses this word truth four times and the word love two times, which lines us up or gives us a bit of a primer for what he's going to get into in the body of this letter. What is he actually saying? You know, we hear a lot today, don't we, about these words, my truth? You know, do you have a truth? Well, that, well my truth is this, as though we can all kind of have different truths. Whereas Paul, uh, John here, and probably Paul as well, what do you think, Paul? Um, John would say here at this point in time that there's one truth, and that truth is revealed in Jesus Christ. It's revealed in him. We don't have a relativistic approach to reality. Truth literally means the way things really are. And so what we're invited to here is to see the way things really are. What is actually going on? So the Gnostics of John's time were peddling their truth which was different to the truth of Jesus, which we'll see in a minute. He says in verse four, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as one who were writing you a new commandment, but one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. This commandment of love is issued here in this small little section four different times. A commandment to love. A commandment to give of yourself, which seems really strange when you think about what's coming. I want you to love one another. I want you to care about one another. But what's interesting here is he's saying, I'm not introducing something new to you. I'm not telling you some brand new secret. I'm not telling you a brand new idea. He said, no, this is the idea we've had from the beginning. This is not a new commandment. This is actually something very, very old, that we love one another. 
See, the Gnostics were going around saying, hey, there's something new. There's a new revelation to receive, guys. You know, God hasn't finished yet. He's still, he's still saying new things. They're still unfolding in front of us. There's still things to learn. There's still, there's a secret to know. And it's all ahead of us. How often do we go around running around for chasing after new revelation? Oh, God hasn't spoken to me yet. God's still He's still got something for me. And now that might be true. But what John wants to encourage the church here is let's not allow the kind of lottery mentality of the next revelation to surpass what God's already said. I'm not telling you something new. I'm telling you something very, very old, that we love one another. And what is love? That we walk in the way that Jesus walked that we live the way that Jesus lived. This is not a new command. The Gnostics will tell you that there's something new to receive and there very well might, might be, but it's not gonna surpass what Jesus has already done and what he's already said. You love one another. You don't need a revel new revelation, church. You need to enter into the great old story. The great old story of Jesus who came as a man to die, to rise again to new life and is leading captive in his train into a new heaven and a new earth. We don't need a new commandment. We've got to start living the old one. So often we're waiting for a new revelation from God and Jesus is saying, well, have you got the part where we love one another yet? That's the old command. How about we do that one? And when we've mastered that, then we can move on to the next. You know, 70% of people who win the lottery end up broke again. 70%. Over a third of people who win the lottery end up filing for bankruptcy. Why? Because escapism from a life of poverty, just poof, magically, oh, I've got... I've got more money than I know what to do with, it actually damages you. Why? Because people who've learned how to manage wealth have learned how to do it over a long period of time. It's like lifting weights. You, go, you get incrementally stronger over time. People who win the lottery, there is too much weight and it smashes everything. And yet so many of you are praying to God. So, so many times I'm praying to God going, God, deliver me from this situation. I want it all to go away. Just move me out of this. Boom, I want to win the lottery. And then we're sad when, Je when Jesus doesn't do it. He's actually protecting you. He doesn't want you to die. And that weight will kill you. Well, at least 70% of people, anyway. Whereas we can have this lottery mentality, which is actually a form of Gnosticism, that says, well, everything will be fine once God solves all of my problems. And then all of those problems are actually more than the weight that we can bear. Verse seven, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. This gives us a hint that these deceivers were actually part of the church originally. They've gone out into the world. So it's like John saying, there used to be people who were part of us, and then they got this kind of weird notion that if we combine all of these 
religions together and we add a little bit of Judaism and a little bit of Greek thought into Christianity, what we actually get is this brand new super religion. It's going to take the world by storm. Many deceivers, he said, have gone out into the world which do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's the thing that we need to focus on here. The main message of these people were that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. So when, you, when, they, when they say, oh yeah, but Jesus, they can't, they can't level with the fact that someone so divine could also suffer. So follow with me here. The Gnostics would say, yes, Jesus is divine, but he couldn't be a man because if he was divine, he couldn't be killed. So perhaps he was a man from his baptism until his crucifixion, but then he, was, he wasn't anymore because, and he didn't really die. He kind of escaped that part because there was no room in their theology for holding beauty and pain together. Whereas what the gospel is is a patient theology that works through beauty and pain, that sees Jesus as both divine and human, fully God and fully man, all at the same time. No one could be God and perform the miracles that he did. And yet no one could be God and die for the sins of humanity. If I was to ask you, what do you think is, which is harder to believe, that Jesus was God or that Jesus was a man? What would you say? Well, I would say that a lot of us would say, well, it's hard to believe that Jesus was God. Like, we know we have enough facts to know that Jesus was a real person. And perhaps out in the world today, people would say, yeah, we know that Jesus, you know, that the, the kind of the meme of Jesus was a good teacher. He was a spiritual teacher, a holy man who told us to do a whole bunch of things. We struggle with, with Jesus being God. The ancients had the reverse issue. They had no problem believing that Jesus was God. No problem at all. The problem they had was with, was with seeing him as a man. Divine, no problem. I mean, list off his miracles. But Jesus as man, I, that can't be. It can't be at all. Because we think he's divine and there's no way that someone divine could suffer. Whereas John in his gospel takes great pains to write about Jesus' humanity. Think about it. Jesus goes to a wedding. We're told that the word became flesh and the flesh dwelt among us. He took a drink at a well. He rode on a lake. He wept at Lazarus' grave. Very, very, very human what, showing us what it means to be alive, what it means to be human. And in all of that, my friends, is actually our salvation. Why? Because how could humans, how could mankind be saved but from a saviour who knew exactly what it was like to be in our position? The gospel labors this point. And so we have a, an anatomy here of Gnosticism, which I want to talk a little bit about and then talk about the antidote of the gospel. So 
The anatomy of Gnosticism is all about escape. From Harry Houdini onwards, we've been obsessed with people who can make great feats of escape, right? They were in a tight situation and then bam, all of a sudden they're out of it. How did he do that? We love these stories of rags to riches. Wow, something happened and there's this belief in us that maybe it will happen to me too. Maybe something will come along. You know, the princess who married the prince of Denmark or whatever and they met at a pub, you know that kind of story. Mary. That's right. That's right. This idea that something, our lives could change in a minute and Gnosticism loved this idea. Gnosticism said there's a, there's a secret to know. There's a secret knowledge. And they sidle up to you, you know, the Gnostics sidle up to you and go, hey, I've, I've, got some, I've got some secret information for you. Secret information about how we get out of this place and into the next place. Real fast, real quick, no pain, no problems. Tell me more, right? Secret knowledge secret information. You know, it's, it's clickbaity stuff. The secret that the banks don't want you to know. <laughs> you know? Click here. Oh, I've been scammed. Like, it's just... <laughs> says that there's an ethereal salvation to experience. It's about denying the flesh. So Gnosticism held that our flesh, our bodies, anything material was evil or bad. And the way that you, are, that you are saved from that is that you deny the flesh. So Gnostics would either do one of two things. Send themselves on kind of week-long benders where because, ah, oh, the flesh is evil anyway, so it doesn't matter. Or they would become so um, strict and stringent with their discipline that they would get sick and they said, well, that's good because the body's bad. It needs to be punished. And the more I punish the body, the more I can attain to the lofty spiritual heights that God wants me to go into. So this was the, the kind of belief system there. And that thirdly, that there was a new revelation to receive. There's something you don't know that you're about to know. But the antidote, the, the antidote of the gospel is completely different. Because the gospel's, look, it's not a secret kind of an open secret. It's a secret that you find out was a secret after you're in. Like it's kind of a secret in reverse. The amount of times I've heard somebody say to me when they come to faith, why didn't someone tell me about this earlier? And you're like, well, they did, but this was your time now. And now you're saying in retrospect it felt like a secret when it wasn't. Does that make sense? It's an open secret. We're open with the gospel. This is not some secret knowledge to know. This is a gospel where Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Tell them about what I've said. Baptize them in my name. Because at one day the secret will be declared from the rooftops. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. So it's not a secret. It's also not ethereal and somewhere far off. Jesus came as a man, embodied. He bled. He died. He wept. Even as he was resurrected, he was resurrected into what? Human form. He didn't come back a ghost. 
He came back in a resurrected body that his disciples were able to touch and feel and put their hands into. And he was able to, he, was, he ate food with them. He had breakfast with them. They watched him and in a resurrected body, he is an embodied God. Here's that old song, that kid's song, going on a bear hunt. Oh no, there's a river, a wide river. Can't go over it, can't go under it, can't go around it. What do you gotta do? The only way is through my friends. Jesus, truth and the gospel truth is that he doesn't magically make your problems disappear, but he's going to be with you in it every step of the way. He's going to see you through it, not over it, under it, or around it. He's going to be with you through it all the way. That's the embodied gospel. He's here with us to empower us, to strengthen us, to walk through our problems and challenges. He's not just going to magically take them away. Do I believe in miracles? 100%. Because the resurrection itself is something that only God could do. And it gives us great hope that even though we're walking through things now, there is a day coming where our own bodies will be resurrected. You know, he's given us everything we need. This is the other truth about the gospel, is that the, is that. When he created Adam and Eve, when he created matter, things, the things that we see, you know what he said about it? That it was good. And God created everything that we would see and he didn't say it's evil. He said it was very good. Very good. Which means you and I can enjoy being alive with all of its pain and all of its struggle and all of its strife, you know that Jesus is with you, you know that he's here and that he has been through every temptation, every trial, every, every challenge known to you and I and yet was without sin. So if our faith doesn't know a savior that came in the flesh, our faith's not grounded on anything. But it does feel strange, doesn't it, that he says, so I want you to love each other and watch out for the deceivers who say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Do not even let them into your house. What's he saying? Now, he's not making a blanket rule that you put out on the, you know, on the, the, the rug out the front, Gnostics not welcome, stay away. <laughs> or you stand there with a shotgun or something like that. You can still have people around, all right? Even if they have some weird views. What he was saying was don't support them in this way where they were traveling from place to place, church to church, being supported by that household and then moving on to the next one. He's saying don't support them that way. Sure, like go out for coffee if you want. That's okay. But it's a different level of support. What we make a test of fellowship, my friends, is not what the Bible makes a test of fellowship. What you and I might decide in terms of, oh, they, that person believes that, so therefore I'm not going to associate with them anymore. The, what the Bible says about that is different from our test of fellowship. You know, we've got the referendum coming up Saturday. Yeah? Just want to remind you, because you probably haven't seen it anywhere. <laughs> 
Now, according to people that I've, that I've spoken to and the people that I've listened to and the social media posts that I've read, I would put our church at about 50-50, yes and no. Right? So, that could either be a big challenge or it could be a huge opportunity. It could be a challenge if we used this vote as a test of fellowship. If we were to say, this vote's going to be the one that really, that tells me who my friends are and tells me who the people that I want to spend time with and tells me the people that I can trust and the voices that I'll listen to. That could be a challenge because that means you're going to probably, you know, halve your crew by about 50%. Well, that is half, 50 <laughs> Right. We're going to turn this team around 360 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or it can be an opportunity. How? Well, we've been given an old command to love one another. We've been given another old command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We call that the great commandment and the great commission. Now we could sit on either sides of the room and divide ourselves around yes or no. Or we could rally together and go, what do we know that's true, that's higher than both of those two things? The people are made in the image of God that God wants us to love one another, that we're to go into all the world, that there is a day coming where every single tribe and tongue will meet and bow before the risen Lord Jesus. And we could make that our banner instead. And we can talk about that and we can love people, value people, honour people, serve one another, and we can have dialogue with one another that is both respectful and humble. And in so doing, it is an incredible opportunity for us to preach the gospel. The gospel that says it doesn't matter what you believe about this particular issue. Together, we believe that all people are made in the image of God, that all people are being called to come to follow and love and worship the person of Jesus Christ. And he's saving them just like he's saving us. Can I get an amen on that one? Because, guys, this week is going to be more heated online than it's ever been. You're gonna have more opinions, and I just ask you one thing. Please be kind. Please be humble. Please be respectful. There are very, very wise and learned people on both sides who are voting both different ways and who think that the best way to love our Indigenous friends is either by voting yes or voting no. And there are both wise and scholarly people on both sides, and so that's all good. What's important here is that we keep the main thing the main thing. The focus is Jesus Christ. The focus is the command to love one another and to speak the good news about him to every person Man, woman, and child. Amen? Amen? Okay. Lastly, he says here, I have much right to you, but I'd prefer to not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come and talk to you face to face so that our journey might be complete. 
the children of your elect sister, i.e. the church that I'm from, greets you. Team, you can come. We're about to share our communion as well. But this word face-to-face, I thought it was great because in the Greek, it's actually translated mouth-to-mouth. <laughs> I would come to greet you. I prefer to not use paper and ink, but I would like to meet mouth-to-mouth. Which doesn't mean, in the Bible, what we think it means. It means, you know, standing in front of each other, talking, rather than writing. But it does give a beautiful image, though, of the intimacy between two churches, though, doesn't it? John, from one church, is writing to another church, and he's saying, I can't wait to come hang out with you so that we can be together and we can talk like friends. Sometimes the only resuscitation that's possible is through mouth to mouth, right? There is an intimacy, a closeness that's required when we come into an embodied faith like ours. So with that in mind, we're gonna share around the table. I'd love you to take the bread and the cup and we're gonna eat and drink together in just a moment. We're gonna love one another by holding fast to the reality of Christ coming in the flesh. We're gonna hold to a patient theology that knows that not everything's gonna get resolved right now. We're gonna trust that the death and the resurrection of Jesus works. We're not gonna chase after new trivialities, but trust in the incarnation, death and resurrection of Jesus. This is a joyful letter, a little note that he writes and he's hoping to get there. Now, we don't have any guarantee that he actually went and spent time at this church after he wrote to them. This could have been the last thing that he wrote. So this was the last words that they received from John before he passed away. So if this was the last letter that you were ever to receive, how would you obey it? Imagine we were Kyria Elector. This is the church down the road from John. And he writes this letter to us. What are you going to take away? Which gets complicated, especially when we then go into 3 John, which we're going to look at next week. enter into a bigger story together with its demands on our time and our attitude and our actions? Can we appreciate love and beauty and goodness for its own sake? Can we accept that maybe our truth isn't the truth and look to Jesus for what God is actually like? we come to Scripture to be changed rather than wanting to change Scripture so that we don't have to. Man, I'm so grateful that Jesus came in the flesh. I'm so grateful that we serve and worship a God who can sympathise with our weakness. 
the Son of God and the Son of Man. And we celebrate that in the embodied action of coming around the table where we take the broken body of Jesus, not figuratively, but the actual broken body we remember in this bread. It's a symbol of His broken body, a broken humanity that was broken for our sake, on our behalf. So why don't we eat together in remembrance of Jesus? to the cup which scripture says makes us one in Jesus Christ you get more of an image of that when in the olden days the church literally used to drink from one cup and for a thousand and one reasons we've decided to not do that today (laughs) but I want you to imagine that this juice all comes from the one place right And so in a way, it's an act of unity that says we're together. We're together. We all come under the banner of Jesus Christ. We're all under His blood. We're all saved by His death. We're all set free because of His sacrifice. And we're choosing to identify ourselves with Him as He makes His home with us. So let's drink together. Let's stand. All right. We're going to sing these words, singing of the goodness of God as we come, as we bring our service to a close in just a moment. And the words of this song that, that really spoke to me this morning was, I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And those words, they, they broke me this morning because I realised that's what today's all about. It's about knowing God as the Son of God, Jesus, and also knowing Him as a friend who's with us. And so, Father, today we give You our hearts again. We thank You for Your presence with us. We thank You for Your glory that's been made manifest in the person of Jesus, full of grace and truth. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us, empower us, Holy Spirit, to love one another. It's an old command. To come to one another with humility and grace. Lord Jesus, we wanna make it about you and about what you're doing. We want to make it about your kingdom and your story. And so, Lord God, today we want to thank you for refreshing us by your goodness once again, for speaking to us in your word. We respond now in worship in Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's sing together. Thank you for listening to the Discovery Church podcast. It is our mission that every heart is found in Jesus' story. 
If you were moved by this episode, please take 30 seconds to share it on your social media. It only takes a couple of seconds to create life-changing impact.